good morning, everybody. Good, yes, yes, it is a good morning, whether you feel like it or not. Um, it is uh, great to be together, and I just want to uh, thank God for all of the volunteers that make Sunday mornings happen. And I just am thankful to God for um, all you guys back in the back doing sound and visual. I thank God for all of our KTC workers, and thank to God for everybody who's laboring so hard to make this morning happen. And I also want to let you know that we are in need of people to serve. Uh, we have um, more areas that need to be filled. Um, we have people, we have space that we need for uh, sound, for visual team, for greeter, for safety team. And that's just on Sunday mornings. And then there are other opportunities, opportunities uh, either throughout the week or opportunities in serving our community that we would love to hear from you from. So you received an email this morning uh, from Heather Gregg, and that email has a form, a, a jot form. And if you would take just a little bit of time just to click that and then just to say, if you're not currently serving on one of those teams, if you would just click there and see if you would go through and uh, where you might be able to serve and fill in some holes as we're a family together in need of each other to help serve one another and uh, the community. So uh, we encourage you to just take a few minutes, even if it's right now, to go and to click that um, because we would love to hear from you and know how to, uh, how to get more uh, volunteers. So by clicking things, you are not volunteering for anything, for the record. Clicking things is just saying you would like to be contacted about volunteering, okay? So click away um, and enjoy that, and it is a great opportunity for us to serve one another. Now, we are going to take a brief break from our series on Romans uh, for four weeks, although we'll actually dive into Romans next week. I know that sounds contradictory. You'll, you'll figure it out here in a second. But um, laying out the vision of Treasuring Christ Church and what is... Uh, what we see as uh, being and making uh, disciples here at the church. And so today we're going to be uh, focusing in on this idea of finding rest in Jesus through the window of the word. Finding rest in Jesus through the window of the word. And I would love for you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 11. Matthew chapter 11 very famous passage we have mentioned, gone through, preached on several times here at Treasuring Christ Church, but I wanted to take some time to allow it to be a springboard for us uh, today. So Matthew chapter 11, and I will read verses 28 and 29 and then pray as Pastor Ron Jure encourages us, when you're there, say, I'm there. Amen. I'm always slow on that, so I feel like, like you know, just a couple minutes later, I'm going to say, like, I'm there, and it'll be a little awkward, but it's okay. You get the point. Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 and 29. The Word of God says this. This is Jesus, our Savior, speaking. Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me. Because I am gentle 
and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Let's pray. Father, I ask for your mercy in this moment. We need you more than we need anything else. Father, I ask that more than words, it is a real reality that you are our greatest treasure. That we would be given the faith to believe that you satisfy every longing of the human heart. Every longing we will ever have is found in you, satisfied. And so now as we stop and we pause, I just ask for a heart that rests in Jesus. I pray that you would have your way in this moment. That you would get glory for your name. That people would leave here adoring you. You would be the most impressive subject, person, thing that we could ever conceive of. And everything else would grow dim. And so, Father, please, move in our midst in this moment. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So when you think of the word rest, what comes to mind? Just let it roll around in your head. When you think of the word rest, I think many of us will think of words like comfort or reclining. You might think of your mattress at home and laying down on your pillow. You might think of a special spot on the couch. You might think of closing your eyes. You might think of quietness. You might think of warmth. Some of you might think of cool. You might think of a favorite chair. You might think of a favorite moment in the day. What comes to mind when you hear the word rest? Well, I think we all know that sometimes uh, rest is found in activity and sometimes it's found in the absence of activity. Sometimes you might say, I find rest by just turning on a movie and watching a movie or reading a good book or listening to some music. Others of you, I find rest by not doing those things, by getting away, being still, being alone, taking a nap, whatever. But what's interesting is it's not just the absence of work when we think of rest. It's usually the absence of worry, the absence of responsibility, right? You can, you can have all the sleep that you want, and if you're plagued with anxiety or just a lot of responsibility sometimes it's hard to sleep right it's hard to find the rest beneath the rest the rest in the heart so when you think of rest more than likely you're thinking of the stillness of the heart not just the stillness of the body and what's interesting as we read this passage here Jesus is wanting us to think about our physical rest and push it through a spiritual grid to begin to meditate on this idea. And he is saying that when your whole heart rests, 
when it finds peace and stillness like your body finds stillness at night, when you cast all of your responsibility on the Lord like you cast your body on your mattress or in your favorite chair, when your burdens are not here but they have been laid upon someone else, that image can be found uniquely in one person. The one who says, come to me. It's the longing of every human heart, probably the most intense longing of every human heart, that we would find rest. And so, what is honestly jaw-dropping and kind of breathtaking is that the Savior of the universe says, you can find rest in me, and I want you to come. I want you to come and experience it. I'm not far away. I'm not elusive. This is not something for the spiritual elite. In Jesus... Not when you have it all together, but when you are, what does it say? Laboring, heavy laden, I will give you rest. This is why Matthew eleven twenty eight and 29 are so precious. Jesus says, come to me. He says, come to me. And whatever words or emotions you put on the word rest, he says, when you come to me, you can find rest. Whether it's peace whether it's I'm held, whether it's comfort, whether it's reclining or laying down, he wants you to meditate on that word, to roll it around in your mind, just like I did just then. This is the opposite of the shred approach. <laughs> the shred approach is drinking from a fire hydrant. The meditation approach is reading slowly like I just read it to you from the beginning and taking phrases and thinking on it deeply. One is not better than the other. But both are essential. The reading through to understand the whole picture, the meditating in order that you might understand the words that Jesus is pressing in on us. And so when you think, now we've got maybe this idea, your brains are kind of locked in on what rest is, and then he says, come to me. You ever meditated on that phrase? Jesus says he's always with us. How do you come to somebody who's always with you? But he says, come to me. So he's not distant. He's not far. He's with us. Heck, he's inside of us if we've trusted in him. How do you come to somebody who lives inside of you? But boy, when we do, he promises you will find rest. Isn't that what the passage says? How do you do it? He's saying, this is, this is all over the scriptures, this is how Jesus rolls. It is, he gives you physical pictures. Our words are kind of trying to paint physical pictures to create spiritual realities. How do I come to that pulpit? There's an approaching. There, there's a stepping towards. How do you do that in your heart? It requires slowing down it requires a stillness of pace that's why in the bible psalm 46 be still and know that i am god when moses is on the edge of the red sea the lord says to him i will fight for you you have only to be still <laughs> when you're probably at panic mode 101 he says stillness is what you need it's ironic. The coming to Jesus 
has stillness as part of it. It's how he's designed it. Because I know if your mind's like my mind, when I stop to read his word, it can be the fastest my mind runs. And it usually runs to everything else. The bills that need to be paid, the relationship that's strained, the task list that has to be done, the sports that I would rather click on and watch and figure out all the different statistics. You mean, it just sprints. <laughs> but it sprints in every other direction than come to Jesus. The food that needs to be repaired, the spouse you want to spend time with, the kids you want to serve, the activities you would rather do, Jesus says, come to me. All those things are great, they're good, but they're not primary. Come to me. What do I do to try to still the mind? I usually have one or two verses that are just my go-to defaults. One of them is the Lord's Prayer. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Genuinely, this is what I do. Father means I'm your child. It means you love me. And usually what I say in this moment is I say, and I acknowledge your presence. It's actually a pretty powerful thing in the busyness of your life when you stop and you actually out loud say, you are here. And I believe it. Because we live our lives in things that we can touch. But our faith says our God is always with us. And yet we live our lives many times as if he's not always with us. So to stop and to say, you are my father. I believe I'm your child. I believe you love me. And I acknowledge you are here. It's powerful. Because you've established his love. You've established his intimacy. You've established his presence. And I say, Father, I want your name to be hallowed. I want you to be seen in my life. And Father, I just ask that you would shred away all of my will and you would cause me to say, not my will, but yours be done. It just gets the, gets the train going on the track. My train sometimes rolls backwards and goes the opposite direction. My train feels st stuck sometimes. And I get this verse and I stop. I've stilled myself. I can do that whether I'm busy in a day, taking five minutes. I can do it in the morning if I'm sitting still with a cup of coffee in a special place in my home. The point here is Jesus says, come to me. Come to me. And the big thing now, if you deal with anxiety, the big thing now is if you read much of anything long on anxiety, you'll hear the word mindfulness. And mindfulness is this focusing, and it's this stopping to kind of process what you're sensing and feeling. And I think it's actually really helpful, and I would just say take it one more step to say, and cast your burdens upon the Lord. What are you feeling? I am feeling anxious right now. To be honest with God about that. I'm feeling this way. And God, I need you. I trust that you are able to handle what I'm going through. God, I'm feeling angry right now. God, I need you to help me see things the way you see them. 
Not just how my heart is just raging to see them. Come to me, Jesus says. All who are weary and heavy laden. And I will give you rest. It is acknowledging his presence. It's bringing all of you to all of him. Your emotions, your burdens, your time, your resources, your marriage, your singleness, your leisure, your work, everything to him. Nothing off limits. If you find yourself hiding something from the Lord, you are not convinced of his love. And, potentially, it's an area that you're trying to keep off limits from him. Which is where sin grows. In those mutant, dark places. The point of today is that you would find rest for your soul. Find rest for your soul. The rest that we crave, that you would find it by coming to Jesus. And the main point today is you will find that in his word. You'll find it in his word. The prayers that I were praying were prayers from the word. The word is an essential part of walking with Jesus. It's essential. And so my prayer today is that we would come away feeling honored to have the Word of God. We would come away today hungering to behold more of Jesus in His Word. We would come away today pleading that God would plant our hearts in His Word. And we would come away actually finding rest in Jesus. We're going to see it in three things. One is how important the Word is, was to Jesus and His ministry. Two, we're going to see why the word was important to Jesus. And three, how the word brings rest to our souls. How the word was important to Jesus and his ministry. Why was it important? And how the word brings rest to our souls. Now, today's sermon in finding rest, before we dive in, you might ask, well, if you wanted us to emphasize the word, why would you stop a series in the book of Romans to emphasize the word? Well, honestly, that's why we preach through whole books is because the word is primary. We want it to guide us. But this idea of resting in Jesus is a part of more of a holistic picture. And it's actually a great question that you would ask that. But it's a holistic picture that we as pastors have been praying through for several months. And we're asking questions like, do you ask like, okay, now why do we gather? Why am I coming on a Sunday morning? Why do I, 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 I click in on YouTube on a Sunday morning if I can't make it in? Do you ask like, what are we about as a church? Why am I doing church? Why treasuring Christ church? And I just feel like that some of this has lost clarity. But our prayer is that when we say, as a church, we exist to be and make disciples who treasure Christ, love the church, love the city, love the world, that that would not just like all of a sudden sound like mwah, 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 but it would actually begin to mean something. What does it mean? We struggle to understand how that sentence affects practically every day of our life. What does it mean to be here on Sundays, to experience community group, to serve on Sundays, to reach our city and our neighbors, to have three or so weeks where we're just talking about how we're going and sending to the nations? What is this we're doing? And so, 
I briefly want to frame this idea of finding rest in Jesus into this holistic understanding that we of pastors have been praying through and we want you to know that we want to be disciples who treasure Jesus above all. What does that look like? What does it mean to have our whole person formed into the likeness of Jesus? And if you hear that mission statement, be and make disciples who treasure Christ, love the church, love the city, love the world, we have one that's focused in on our inward Treasure, Christ, affection, you have the word love, but then you have the rest, the other three that are focused outward. Love the church, love one another, love the city, that means love your neighbor and love where we're located here, and love the world. What we felt like as we were praying through this, how do we better clarify that being a disciple is really focusing in on the heart so we have something to give away? What does it look like for us to be a spiritual house, to be a a building built for the Lord? And so we have this image here that hopefully will show up, this picture taken from the book Emotionally Healthy Pastor. I've shown it in a couple of family meetings. And then that's my lame handwriting right there. So if you've been with us long enough, you know my handwriting struggles, and that's that's what this is. And we're, we're asking the question, That red foundation, how do we treasure Jesus above everything? And if you look, what's going upward, what's kind of going out, our outer life is treasure Christ, love the church, love the city, love the world. It's it's, we gather to treasure Christ together. That's what we're doing here. We meet in community groups to love one another. We do outreach projects and we seek to love our neighbor just with everyday life because we love our city and we talk regularly about loving the nations. But what are we doing to form the inner person? And that's why we wanted to take all of January just to start on the right foot to say there is a first and primary endeavor and that is that we would all be on the same page to rest in Jesus to be still with him to make it the first and greatest priority that we would stop and be with Jesus the second one is that we would grow in gospel fluent self-counseling I don't know if you heard Carrie sharing in her testimony she says I have grown to become more aware of my own emotions you cannot get out of the bondage that's in sin until you acknowledge any sin that is going on. Emotions are not sin. They're gifts from God. But they can go haywire. And so, what do, are you understanding in your own life when you have not had righteous anger, but when you've gotten sinfully angry? When you've not just grown concerned, but you've grown paralyzed by anxiety. When you haven't just been sad, Jesus wept. That's not sin. That's beautiful. It's a gift from God. But when all of a sudden you despair of even life itself, when you become more aware of these things, we have to figure out what it means to apply the good news of Jesus to our wayward emotions and our wayward affections. When we crave things that we should not be craving. And then what about our homes, whether we're single or whether we're married, the gospel matters there. And we, these, these seem like areas that sometimes that get neglected in our holistic understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus. 
So we're stopping and being still with Jesus. We're understanding the complexities of what's going on in our hearts. But we're also working towards having healthy marriages and living healthy, happy, single lives. And then finally, what does it look like to trust God with our time and resources? How do we not fall off the horse of being lazy or being workaholics? How do we carve time out to have genuine rest, physical rest? How do we make sure that we are using our resources to to give and to be generous, which is characteristic of the people of God? I want you to know this. The reason I share it is this. Your pastors are praying for you around these things. We're hoping to equip you around these things. We're going to be having testimonies and sharing and praying towards these things being formed in God's people being formed in us. Because if God forms this in our inner person, then we know that the house will go upright. We'll begin to love one another deeply. We'll gather to treasure Christ above everything. We'll love our city. And we'll love the world. We're praying for you. And my hope, my hope is that you will rest in the love of Jesus for you. My prayer is that you will love this church. This imperfect group of leaders and people simply striving to be faithful to God and his word, to be and to make disciples who treasure Jesus above all. My prayer prayer is that you'll love one another deeply. My prayer is that we'll leave a mark of love, the love of Jesus on our neighbors, where we live and here in Southeast Raleigh. My prayer is that little pieces of TCC will be slung all over the globe and leave their imprint because we treasure Jesus above all. My prayer is that we would treasure Christ. So, May God holistically form us. No part left untouched. And I look forward to seeing what that means when we dive in in February, Romans chapter 8, 28 and 29. Next week, Pastor Travis will be preaching on prayer, Romans chapter 8, verses 26 and 27. One more deposit of resting in Jesus. But for today... With the few remaining minutes that we have, we're going to look at what does it mean to prioritize the word. To say with George Mueller, quote, The first great and primary business to which I ought to attend every day is to have my soul happy in the Lord. And I'm telling you, when Jesus says, come to me, when George Mueller says, "How do I want my soul happy in the Lord, That is found primarily in the Word of God. So, let's tackle just a few of these things, friends. How important was the Word of God to Jesus? What's important to Him would be important to me. How do you know what's important? Well, you know what's important to people because it's what they talk about, right? It's what well, you, you talk about what's important. Even the greatest introverts become some of the greatest talkers when you talk about something they love. It's just how it works. We talk about what we love. Work, school, someone you're interested in dating, your spouse, your kids, music, video games, COVID numbers, health, politics, food, movies, sports, whatever it is, you talk about what you love. 
my little boy Justice and myself, we went to an NC State basketball game yesterday. Yes, they lost. And most of my family are Duke fans, but Justice has come out as a strong NC State fan. And so, you know, and some of you who are Tar Heel fans, just like, man, that whole family is misled. But, you know, we came from SEC country, so it's just, we're, we're okay to kind of dance in all worlds. So the way it works is we're sitting there, and as we're sitting there watching the game, this guy in front of me, there's a couple in front of me, but the guy, he was just really kind of agitated. NC State didn't play very well. He was just really agitated. And he turned around and he was just like, why don't they just set a pick? And why don't they just throw the ball here? Why don't they just let this guy? And he was just so frustrated. Justice looked over to me after he turned around and was looking. He was like, do you know that guy? And I said, no, that's just kind of what happens when you're watching a game. You just kind of talk to total strangers because, you know, you're either frustrated over this or you love the team. You know, everybody's high-fiving total strangers when things go well. It's just how it works because you talk about what you love, what you're passionate about, what you're concerned about. What was Jesus concerned about? What was important to him? Well, I'm doing the Bible reading plan where you read through the New Testament in a year, okay? And so, reading through Mark, we should be around Mark chapter 5. Here's good news. If you haven't even started a Bible reading plan, you can get to Mark chapter 5 today. Hey, take that. You could do it. You could do it. As you go through Mark, here's what you hear. Mark chapter 1, verse 14. Jesus begins his ministry by proclaiming the gospel of God. Peter equates the gospel of God and the word of God in 1 Peter chapter 1. Jesus begins his ministry proclaiming the word of God. When he battled with the devil for 40 days in the wilderness, the primary weapon Jesus used to battle against the devil was... Yes, you can say it out loud. Online, I want to hear you. The Word of God. That's exactly right. Mark chapter 1, verse 21. It says, And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. We know what they taught in the synagogue. They taught their Bible, which is our Old Testament. I don't know if you remember when you're going through the book of Nehemiah, Pastor Ranjur preached Nehemiah chapter 8, and Ezra was reading the word of the law to all the people, and Ranjur summarized it as, we want the word, we want the word. I don't know if you remember that. I remember being outside. I remember his chant. It stuck with me. This is what the Old Testament people of God were meant to be characterized by. That's what the synagogue was characterized by. When Jesus began his ministry, he goes into the synagogue to teach the word. There's an entire chapter in the book of the Psalms, Psalm 119, the longest chapter in the entire book of Psalms, dedicated to the importance, the beauty, the necessity of the word of God. Mark chapter 1, verses 38 and 39, Jesus says, And he said to them, Let us go on to the next town that I may preach there also, for this is what I came to do. And then it says, and he went throughout all Galilee preaching in their synagogues. Mark chapter 2, verse 2. And it says, and many were gathered together, so there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them. You don't even get to Mark chapter 2 end of Mark chapter 2, and you've already got four or five deposits of how important the Word is to what Jesus does. 
And then you go to Mark chapter 4, and you have a famous parable called the parable of the sower. And he describes this parable. You know, it's the four soils. Do you remember this parable? You've got seed that's scattered, and then the first one, nothing grows. Then the second one, some things grow, but then the hot sun scorches it out. Then the third soil is where thorns grew, and they choked it out. But then the fourth soil was good soil, and it grew 30, 60, and 100 fold. And then nobody really knew what he was talking about. It made, makes me feel good. You know, it's like, okay, please explain this to us. Mark chapter 4, verse 14, here's what you hear. Jesus says, the sower sows, and what are the next words? The word. And these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown in them. And these are the ones that are sown on the rocky ground. The ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves but endure for a little while. Then when tribulation and persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. They are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word, accept the word, and bear fruit 30, 60, and 100 fold. Who's the sower? In the passage, primarily, it's Jesus. Jesus is the sower, and interestingly, whoever rejects his words, he's ultimately saying is rejecting him. He is sowing the word, and what he is wanting from the hearer is that they consistently receive the word. Do you see how that could be a summary of what we just read? The sower is giving the word out. Some received it, but they didn't consistently receive it. But the good soil heard it, accepted it, and fruit started growing. So what Jesus is telling this for is that he's giving out his word and his people receive his word consistently. And you know that they're receiving his word because they begin to bear fruit. Now, it might seem obvious, but he's also assuming that this is anyone who is following him will be a sower of the word. But you cannot sow what you do not have. If you don't have the word of God deeply implanted, there's nothing to throw out, right? If you have no seed in your bag, you reach in and there's nothing to throw. You just do that. And so he wants us in our receiving to be embedded in the word. And here's a verse that Jesus uses, John chapter 12, verse 48, which helps us put together that if we reject his word, we're not rejecting just ideas, we're rejecting him as a person. John chapter 12, it says this, The one who rejects me and does not receive my words has a judge. 
The word that I have spoken will judge him on the last day. Do you see the connection there? The one who rejects me, i.e. not receiving the word of God, is rejecting me. So when we reject the word, we reject him. We're not just rejecting ideas, we're rejecting his personhood. Jesus knew that the word was essential for us. It was his primary gift to his followers. John chapter 17, he says, I gave them your word, Father, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. When Jesus is looking back at his three years with his followers, he is saying, mission accomplished because I gave them the word. I gave it to them. That's how important Jesus was. He, not only that's what he did, but that was a summary of, I was effective. I did what you asked me to do. I gave the word to, the, to your followers. And then, look how important it is. When Paul is teaching Timothy how he's supposed to train up this church and lead the church, he says in 1 Timothy chapter 4, command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set an example for the believers in speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation and to teaching. It was meant to be central to the people of God that the Word of God was regularly read. I don't know if you remember when Peter betrayed Jesus. And Jesus begins to reinstate Peter and he says, do you love me, Peter? Not once, not twice, but three times. On the third time, he says, Peter, do you love me? And he says, Lord, you know everything. You know all of my sin. You know all of my mistakes. You know that I love you. And Jesus says these three words, feed my sheep. What was he supposed to feed them with? What was the food to give to the sheep so they didn't die. It's the very thing that Jesus gave to his followers. It was the word. The primary role of your pastors, the primary role of your interaction with one another is to so encourage each other with the word. We need to be fed by the word. Because the word has power. John chapter 15 says, and you are already clean because of the word. Your heart is cleansed by the word. It says in John 17, 17, sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. How do you become more like Jesus? It's through the word. We know, Hebrews 4, 12, that the word of God is living and active. Different than every other book on the planet. The words are alive and they're changing us. This is why the word is important. And so it makes complete sense when the book of John starts this way. In the beginning was what? The word. And the word was with God and the word was God. In verse 14 you drop down. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The Word is not simply a bunch of concepts about God. The Word is actually where you meet God Himself. It's personal. 
Jesus is the word. And to reject the word is not to just reject a book. It's to reject a person. To reject Jesus. So, hopefully you see with just a few samples how important the word was to Jesus. And I pray, therefore, the word must be, can be, should be an invitation of importance to us. But why was it important? It was important because the word is a window. The word is a window. And there's a picture of a window here. Now, when you look at this window, you see the white frame around it. You see these pretty little handles here. I'm assuming you pull the handle out and the windows open up. You see the grates that are in the window. Now, tell me, is that all we're supposed to notice about the picture? Do we have windows in our house so that we would look at the hardware around the edges? If so, why aren't they painted black? They're just blackout windows, you know. Because a window is not the end in itself. The window is meant to allow you to see what you really want to see. And the Bible is a window. The Bible is a window to help you see what is most beautiful. Behind that window is water and mountains and trees. And when you look at this, this book and you read this book, this book is a window to see a person who is Jesus. Why was the Bible important to Jesus? Because Jesus says the Bible was about him. When he's about to leave, he's just been raised from the dead. He walks on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24. And I want you to listen to these verses. And Jesus said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets had spoken. Was it not necessary that the Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And what did he do? He then goes to his Old Testament and he says, beginning with Moses, which is his Bible, there was no New Testament at the time, beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them in all the scriptures the things concerning who? Himself. Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, they were simply windows to help you see Jesus. When you stop every single morning, I have been, I have fallen prey to this. I can look at these words, I can analyze them like I analyze a math problem. I've gone through seminary, I know what it's like to study this book like you would study a manual. And I have seen dear brothers and sisters go to school and their hearts actually get colder because they are studying this as a subject to know rather than a person to love. And it's not just seminary students, it's all of us. We can check off a box, that's what we're doing when we open the Bible. We can try to learn facts, that's what we're doing when we sit here. But I want you to know, remember Matthew 11? Jesus is saying, not just come to a book, he's saying, come to me. You need me, and where are you going to find me? It's in the Word. 
What did Jesus do when he's walking with these two guys and he's just been raised from the dead? He opens his Bible and he says, Moses, law, prophets, they're showing you me. I'm the one you need. So look at the words in Luke 24. When he was at a table sitting with them, he took bread and he blessed it and broke it and he gave it to them. And all of a sudden, boom, eyes were opened. And they recognized Jesus and then he vanished. Now that's got to be a pretty surreal moment. You just for the first time realized you were walking with for hours and now sitting and eating with the king of the universe, the one that the entire Bible was pointing to, and then he just disappears right when you're like ready to ask your first question. Boom, gone. And then they just looked at each other and said, didn't our hearts just burn within us while we talked with him on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? This is the beautiful work of the Spirit of God. When you open up the Scriptures, the Spirit of God opens up your heart. He gives you understanding. Sometimes it comes quickly. Sometimes it comes after hard work. Let's be honest. Sometimes it feels like it doesn't come at all, and then a couple days later it comes. But nonetheless, the Spirit of God opens eyes. He opens ears. He opens hearts. That's what He does. All who are believers have experienced that. The burning of the heart, which is an affection for Jesus, because you've been in his word. This is the way we find rest. We find rest by coming to him, and we come to him by going to the word. What we need is to see Jesus. This is why one of my favorite verses in all of scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18. And it says this, and we all with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So you, you get the picture. You become like what you behold. When you behold Jesus, you become like him. Where will we behold Jesus? Jesus says, you'll behold me by going to the word. When we come to the Bible, we are coming to a person. And so, how does coming to the Word bring us rest? The more we are like Jesus, the more we rest. Hear that. The more we are like Jesus, the more we rest. So how does the Word bring us rest? We behold Jesus in the Word. Behold Jesus, you become like Him. Friend, I, I can't tell you how good it makes my heart feel to know there are families sitting around a dinner table or taking some time at night and they're opening the Bible and they're reading the Bible together as families. To know that there are teenagers, and this is happening, teenagers who are studying the Bible together because they want to know God more. When I hear women gathering to do this shred group. Not only do I stand in awe at their discipline, but I'm so encouraged because I know God's word is powerful and it's going to change them. When I hear people saying, I'm going to read through the New Testament in a year and I know they're plugging through and they miss some here and they, they, they keep going here. I know that God is going to honor this as the people of Treasuring Christ Church. If we are in his word 
I know that he's going to change us. That's what's going to bring peace. That's what's going to bring understanding. That's what's going to help us fight through disagreements, not against each other, but with each other. That's what's going to help us be on mission. That's what's going to make us contagious out to our city and to our neighbors. That's what's going to make us effective in loving one another and serving and having the ability to sacrifice. The word of God is going to change us. It really is that simple. In marriage counseling all the time, I say this, if you are walking towards Jesus, you will be walking towards one another. Because I trust that the word of God is going to form you and form you. And as he forms you, you're going to realize, man, I got a lot of growth that has to happen in my heart. And I want to be an agent of mercy in this person's life. And you just begin to walk towards each other. We will not find rest for the soul. If we are not stopping to behold Jesus in his word. How does the word bring rest? Because it shows us Jesus. The word brings rest also because it brings us into the presence of Jesus. When we come to his word, we come to a person. The father of mercies, the God of all comfort. Jesus calls us friend. Just think about it for a second. Do you have a relationship in your life? A friend, a spouse, a parent, where you just love going to them because you don't have to explain yourself. You feel known. You know you are loved no matter what comes out of your mouth. To share your heart as your heart, not your heart kind of with makeup on it, the best version of you but even sometimes the messiest version of you. Freedom to express all your feelings with no qualifiers. The safety to process without fear of judgment. Friends, the Father is that to the Son, and He is that to us. That was Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Father, take this from me. I don't want it. But not my will, but yours be done. You see it all throughout the Psalms. David really raw with his emotions, but he's gone vertical with them because God can handle it. The beauty about the word is it ushers us into the presence of God and it helps us know how to be vulnerable with God as a person. And how do we find rest? Because when we're in God's word, we are in his love. Final verse, John 15, 9 and 10. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. Father loves the Son. The Son loves us. He says, I want you to rest there. Like the prettiest view in all of the universe, you just sit there and take it in. I want you to rest with Jesus. How do you do that? It says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love. The Word of God The very commandments that we feel like are stifling, it is the very thing that communicates the word of the love of God for us. As you are in his word, the nearer you are to his word, the nearer you are to his love. The deeper the experience of his love will be. That's what this verse is saying. If you're in my commandments, you're abiding in my love. The word is not cold and impersonal. It is where we commune with the person of Jesus. 
And so, friends, the word brings rest. When Jesus says, come to me, I will give you rest, he wants us to come to him through the word. To neglect it is to reject rest. It's to invite the frigid winds of 32 below self-dependence. It's like, I can handle it on my own. I don't need you, God. That's to neglect the word. You're rejecting rest. To neglect the word is to shun the love of God. To neglect the word is to reject the refreshing waters of the comfort of Jesus. To neglect the word is to resist his hands of healing and the power of his Holy Spirit to change your life. But I want you to know, I've neglected the word. You've neglected the word. As fellow neglectors, what do we do? Do we walk in shame? Do we just beat ourselves up? We know that all of our neglect was placed upon the shoulders of our Savior. And He took it to Calvary. When we choose other things, when the cares of this world choke out the Word, when we desire other things more than the Word of God, He calls us, repent that you might find refreshment. And all of them were nailed to the cross when Jesus was slaughtered for our sin. He looks at you not with eyes of judgment, but with eyes of love. And he says, come to me. All of you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest because I'm gentle. And I'm lowly. And in me, you will find rest for your soul. May we come to Jesus, finding rest in him through the window of the word of God. Let's pray. Father, I ask. I ask that you would help us to be and make disciples who treasure Jesus Christ above all. And that today we would come away feeling honored that you have given us your word. That, Father, we would come away hungering to behold more of Christ in the Word. That, Father, we would come away pleading that God would plant our hearts' affections in your Word. And I ask that you would do the miracle. That we would come away actually resting in Jesus. We can trust you with whatever we face. And so, Father, as we walk together towards the Lord's Supper in this moment, I just ask that we would be walking towards the cross in our hearts, affections, and in our mind's eye. And as we walk towards the cross, we would take all of the heavy burdens of anxiety and we would take them and lay them at your feet. We would allow your word to shape our hearts and we would genuinely say, I believe your word when it says, come to me, I will give you rest. Father, for the worried soul, I ask that you would allow them to cast their burdens upon you. For the angry or bitter soul, I ask that you would help them to see the situation like you see the situation and you would relieve them of the need to exact justice and that father you would help them to trust 
your sovereign hand. I pray that you would give them a peace that passes all understanding and a brokenness for the very person that might have hurt them rather than a bitterness. Please, Father, help them find rest in their soul. Father, I pray. I pray for the one that is overwhelmed by the days to come. And I just ask that, Father, they would trust the fact that they can be faithful each and every day and trust you to handle the outcome. Father, I ask that you would help us as a people to let go of our seeking to control our outcomes and help us to be faithful each day, to be in your word, to be in a people of prayer, to love those right in front of us, and to trust you to bring the results that are best for us and for others. Relinquish our control over our lives, Father. And so as we sit kneeling down, spiritually speaking, at the foot of the cross, I ask that you would allow all of our burdens to lay there. And what would rise up in our hearts is a genuine sense of, I trust you. I rest in you. You're a good father. I am your child. I love you and I receive your love for me. Father, I pray that you would keep away all threats. To loving your word, to loving you. That you would make us aware of them and that you would increase our desire for you above everything else.